0: My concern is that we can gripe and complain so much that we can get so upset about the way things are and vent about it so often that we start to become unattractive and we start turning people away. And you know what? It's not just the world that we tend to complain about. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's also the church. Every day on social media, there's an, there's an article or a write-up about what's wrong with the church. We need to reach millennials. Children, our children are leaving in droves. College students don't think that the church is relevant anymore. Then you have these watchdog church people or these alarmists that want to monitor everything that's going on and post it on Facebook. Because after all, Matthew 18 says, if you have a problem with your brother, you blast them on Facebook, right? That's what it says, right there in the Bible. Rather than going to the person individually, they put things on Facebook about this preacher doing the wrong thing, or this church doing the wrong thing, constantly griping and complaining. And I think about that, and I think, what about the non-Christian that's watching this conversation? What must they be thinking as they watch this play out? They must be thinking to themselves, I don't want anything to do with him. These people can't even get along among themselves. I don't need that as my church home. You know, this sermon was on my mind when I was driving down the road the other day and a song came on the radio. It's a song that I used to listen to before every high school football game. I'd get off in a corner by myself, I'd close my eyes, I'd put my headphones on, and I would listen to this song as my, as the kids call it my hype song. Okay, this was my song that I listened to. It's the song In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins. You may have heard of that song. Great song, but it's pretty dark and pretty eerie. And there's a line in that song where he says, if you told me you were drowning, I wouldn't lend a hand. It's pretty harsh, isn't it? Now, when you know the story behind that song, he wrote that song after he caught his wife cheating on him. If you know the story behind it, you you probably think, well, he probably wasn't harsh enough. But at the same time, it's a pretty dark and eerie song. There's a country song by Jaron Lowenstein, called I, I Pray For You. And the line of, some lines in that song go, I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray, I pray all your tre- dreams never come true. Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. This is the world that we live in. It's a hostile world. It's a world in which we seek revenge, in which we seek to put people in their place. The world is something that's not all that appealing. But sometimes the world seeps into the church. And that should never happen, but it does. The church should not be an extension of the world. The church should be a refuge from the world. People are on the outside that are dealing with all of the chaos in the world around them should be able to come to church to escape all of that. But when we're constantly complaining and griping about our own people, about our own functionality, what does that say? What message does that send? When we're constantly griping and complaining about the elders, about the preacher, about the youth minister, about the length of the service, or whatever it may be, what does that say to our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends? What message do we send? Is that going to entice them to be a part of our fellowship? Notice what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 20. He says, For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to not be what I wish, and may be found by you, To be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife and jealousy and angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. In essence, Paul is saying, I'm afraid of what I'm going to find when I come to see you. I don't think it's going to be good. I've heard about these things. I've heard about the the slanders and the tempers and the disputes and the gossip and the arrogance and the hostility. I've heard about all that, and I'm not pleased. Folks on the outside don't want to come into a church where there's just as much or more drama than the world that they live in. In fact, if you follow Tom Rainer's writings, he is kind of a, a church leadership guy, a guy that talks a lot about church trends. And one thing he's saying is that in his research, it's showing that people are leaving the church a lot of times because of the drama. I mean, you think about it. Are people going to be drawn to a church like this? Disputes, slanders, gossip, those are things I deal with in the world. I don't want to deal with those in the church. Hostility, that's all my my world is. That's all my life is, is one hostile situation after another. I don't want to come to church and deal with that. In fact, I don't even think you can call that a church. Maybe the church of strife. It's not the church of Christ, is it? Here's the simple message for us in the church don't be ugly. Stop it. Don't be ugly. It's, it's that simple. Be kind. Don't give the church a bad name, don't cause her to be unattractive. As I said, we live in a day and age where the church is rather unappealing to those outside of our walls. People tend to look at us and be repulsed. We don't want to give fuel to the fire. We don't want to give them more ammunition by being ugly. Don't be ugly. Be like Christ because that's always enough. And remember the words of Paul, the words that that Robert read from a moment ago in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. It says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. There is a theme that Paul approached over and over again in his lessons, and it's the theme of unity. And he's trying to get the people unified to be reading from the same script, to be on the same page, because that's the only way that they are going to be effective in service to God. And so the theme here is unity. How are you going to be unified if you're constantly grumbling and complaining? In fact, your version may use uh, murmuring or grumbling or some form of the word, disputing or complaining. The word actually means something to the sacred writings of the Greek. It is the same word that's that's used of the rebellious murmurings of the children of Israel toward their leader Moses. It describes the low threatening, discontented muttering of a mob who doesn't trust their leader and is on the verge of a mutiny. Now, the word that Paul uses for disputing or complaining is the word dialogismos, and it describes useless, sometimes ill-natured, disputing and doubting. This is conduct unbecoming of a Christian. We We are to be above such behavior. Again, we can expect this type of conduct from the world around us, but we shouldn't expect this type of conduct from people who wear the name Christian. Paul knew something of this type of conduct from folks out in the world, but it shouldn't exist in the church. Unfortunately, he knew something about it in the church as well, and maybe we do also. Paul was trying to promote unity at every turn because he understood that there are better things to focus on, more important things. You know, it said that when the British and French were fighting in Canada in the 1750s, there was an admiral, Admiral Phipps, who was commander of the British fleet, who was told to anchor outside of Quebec and wait on the land forces to arrive, and then he would provide them support. But as he anchored there and he sat waiting, he grew impatient, and he noticed the statues of all the saints that were lining this cathedral that it was across the way, and he got irritated by seeing all those statues, and he told his men to fire upon those statues, and they knocked them all over. They destroyed all of them. But when the land forces arrived, Admiral Phipps was of no value. He couldn't help, because he had wasted all of his ammunition shooting at the saints. And I'm afraid that's what we do too often in the church. We shoot the saints, When we've got to remember, we're not the enemy. You're not the enemy, the devil is. He's the one that we should be concerned about. He is the one that we should be fighting, not ourselves. So, I want to offer to you five good reasons not to bash the church. Not suggesting that you do. I'm just saying here are five good reasons that we shouldn't badmouth the church. Number one, because Jesus died for it. This is a blood-bought institution. And if Jesus died for something, you better believe that it's important. And it doesn't deserve our bashing. That is the reason, even if that was the only reason, it's reason enough. Secondly, because you're a member of it. The church was purchased member by member with Christ's blood. This is an imperfect group of people. People who can be rude, inconsiderate, even selfish at times. We all fall short. We all act like human beings at times. So many Christians leave a church for this reason, only to discover that every church is imperfect. But you think about it, we don't expect perfection from anything else in life. We love our children even though they're not perfect. We love our spouse even though they're not perfect. We don't expect perfection in anything else in life. So why the church? Why do we have these unrealistic expectations when it comes to the church? The church isn't perfect if for no other reason because you're there. And if you ever go looking for the perfect church and you find it, don't settle there because you'll make it worse. Because you're imperfect. We all are. But there's something special about God using imperfect people to build His church, something we're going to talk about in just a few moments. I don't think that we should always bolt and bash because the church is not what we think it should be. Sometimes you've got to dismount a dead horse. I understand that. But sometimes you've got to stick around and do your best to make sure that you're giving your all to make it the best that it can be, rather than pointing the finger at everybody else. Also, we don't badmouth the church because Jesus and his church cannot be separated. It's kind of a fancy thing to say today. It's a buzz phrase now to say, well, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. It's kind of like the person who says, you know, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Folks, you know how silly that sounds? I mean, somebody thought they were really smart when they came up with that, but it's absolutely unbiblical. Christianity is a religion, and Jesus and his church cannot be separated. They can't. Jesus' church is the blood-bought bride of Christ. I've said this before, but I'll use this illustration again. It's kind of like if somebody came up to me and said, Chris, hey man, I love you, but I can't stand Libby. Now, What's the deal with her? If you ever said that to me, I'd have to restrain myself. I'd have to hold myself back, because don't tell me you love me and hate my wife. Any man who's worth his salt is going to be offended by that and be ready to fight Any man with any kind of respect for his wife and for himself is going to stick up for her. How do you think Jesus feels when somebody says, Well, I love Jesus, but I hate his church. I think he would say, Don't bother. Because this is not an either or. You can't have it both ways. You either love me and you love my church, or you hate me and you hate my church. But you can't have it both ways. Either you love my bride or you don't love me. That's the only way this is going to go down. Also, We shouldn't bash the church because numerous Christians have died for the privilege of coming together to worship God. You know, to forsake the free exercise of our right to assemble as a church is a slap in the face to all of those who died for this privilege. Our forefathers dedicated their lives to birth a nation that granted its citizens the freedom to worship God without reprisal. Generations of brave men and women have fought on the battlefields to defend our religious freedoms and to protect our country from godless attacks. Many Christian martyrs went ahead of us and paved the way for us with their own blood. This is something that many people believe was worth dying for. So the least we can do is live for it, right? And also, we don't bash the church because the church was God's idea. And any idea that's God's idea is perfect. And I never want to be found guilty of bashing something that was God's idea. Do you? I mean, if it's God's idea, I'm getting behind it. I'm going to do my best to make it work. Because if he thought that it was important, then by golly, I better think it's important, right? Right? And I know what you're thinking. I know some of you are thinking, yes, Chris, but that's not the problem. I understand the concept. The problem is the people, right? The problem is the church is made up of Christian and people that act like Christians or that are hypocrites. That's the problem. And I hear you. I mean, there are people who have been hurt in the Lord's church, by Christians no less. There are hypocrites, I'm sure, in the Lord's church in certain places. Do you want to go to church with some of them or go to hell with all of them, right? I mean, that's the question. But I realize that there are bad Christians, there's bad elders, there's bad preachers, there's bad youth ministers. I realize that exists, but what we do too often is we paint with a broad brush, we make sweeping generalizations, and I just don't believe that it is the case across the board that the church is just full of bad people. In fact, I would say that some of the best people I have ever known in my life are members of the Lord's Church. It's kind of like the guy who owned an apple orchard and he wanted to convince his neighbor to try one of his apples, the sweetest, most delicious apples you could ever eat. And his neighbor was hesitant. He said, I don't really want to try them. He said, I've tasted the ones that have fallen over on my side of the fence and they are the disgusting, most disgusting apples I've ever tasted. And the owner of the orchard said, yes, I put those over there to deter kids from stealing apples from the orchard. Just try one of these. You'll be surprised, but he wouldn't. Because he had decided that one bad apple runs the whole orchard, the whole experience. And I think there's people like that that assume that the church is no good, that it's full of no good people because of one bad apple. You and I know that that's not the truth. And as I said, I think some of the best people in the world can be found in the Lord's church. The best people are God's people. Some of the best people I've ever met attend the Seventh and Molar Church of Christ in Paragould, Arkansas, in my hometown. Or the North Heights Church of Christ in Batesville, Arkansas, where I served as a youth minister. Or the tiny church in Charlotte, Arkansas, where I used to coach. Or the Mill Street Church of Christ in Cassville, Missouri, where I preached before I came here. And without a doubt, some of the finest people are right here this morning. As a part of this this congregation here at Oldham Lane, some of the brightest, most biblical, most loving, most kind people are in the Lord's church. Is there a lot wrong with the church? Yeah, because there's a lot wrong with us. I mean, we can be rude. We can be insensitive. We can be be malicious people at times. We are imperfect. But we're still redeemed. We're still a part of His church. And that should mean something to us. If If I wasn't so pleased with what is going on here. If I wasn't the preacher at Oldham Lane and I was just a, a church member here, I would be very ecstatic about the things that are happening. But if I was somewhere else and things were not utopia and things weren't perfect, I think I would do my best to, to try to make them as good as they could possibly be. I, and if I thought that I couldn't make them right, if I thought it was too far gone, I'd probably find somewhere else to settle. But whether I choose to stay or whether I choose to go, I shouldn't bash. I shouldn't do the things that Paul talked about not doing. I'd like to suggest to you that maybe there's another way to look at things. Maybe what bothers us should amaze us. Again, I understand that there are people who have been hurt by the church. I understand that there are people who have been hurt by certain Christians, but that doesn't represent the whole. But Jesus started the church with imperfect people. And that should cause us to marvel at God's amazing grace. I mean, you think about it. The fact that God would use ordinary, broken human beings, which he did over and over again, right? The fact that he would use ordinary, broken, messed up people is quite astounding. We are an imperfect but redeemed people. And the fact that God would use us as the vessels of his grace is really quite astonishing when you think about it. He had other options. He could have done it another way, but he chose to use broken people to showcase his grace to a world in need of redemption. I find that utterly astounding. So what bothers us should amaze us. Instead of expecting perfection, we should come to grips with the reality that we're all imperfect. That's okay. Let's use that to our advantage. Think about how most of the New Testament story tells the story of a less than ideal church where everything and everyone did not work in perfect harmony all the time. Just look at the church in Corinth for an example, right? You think about how Jesus used his followers to spread a message in spite of themselves, overcoming one obstacle after another. The fact that God uses flawed people to accomplish his work is really encouraging when you think about it. The church's story, although it is twisted at times, although it's messed up at times, shows God's grace, God's power, and God's redemption. The church gives the world a front row seat to view the grace of God. Again, I know there's bad elders, there's bad deacons, there's bad preachers, there's bad youth ministers. It's unfortunate that this causes some to leave the church or for others to to choose to settle somewhere else or not even come our way. But I, I, I do not believe that that is the norm. I do not believe that that is the case across the board. And I'm like everyone else. I can find myself getting caught up in the negative. I can find myself saying, well, I just want everything to be better. So therefore, I, I, I've got to focus in on these things. And I can, I can be negative in my approach. But I can tell you there, there are, are a lot of things right with the church. We often want to talk about what's wrong with the church. Sometimes we need to be reminded of what's right with the church. You know what's right with the church? When David K. Singer comes up here and leads singing. That's what's right with the church. A man who recently lost his wife and suffers from Parkinson's. And when he gets up here and he sings with that smile on his face, like he did a couple of Wednesdays ago, I get chills. And I guarantee you, David K. Singer would defend the church with everything he's got. You know what else is right with the church? Pew Packers. When these little boys come up here and pray, or when they all lift up their little finger and sing this little light of mine, that's what's right with the church. You know what's right with the church is when When our older members shuffle into the auditorium with a walker or with a cane, totally decimated by life, but they want to be here. They want nothing more than to be here in a pew worshiping with their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's encouraging to me. That's what's right with the church. You know what else is right with the church? What's right with the church is when we sing the greatest commands as a congregation. When we stand... And we sing, and I would propose to us we should never sing that song again without joining hands. What a wonderful, beautiful song to sing together as a congregation. And when we sing that song, everything is right with the church. All the Christians sitting here this morning, all of you sitting in the auditorium this morning, that's what's right with the church. Because you are a true example of the power of the gospel. Any one of you want to raise your hand and tell me you're perfect? No. You're imperfect, but you're redeemed. And that is a testament to God's grace and something that we should embrace rather than trying to to bash. Let me sum it up this way. You know what's right with the church? You. You're what's right with the church. And it's high time we understand that that we come to grips with that and that we embrace that. With all of your flaws, all of your imperfections, though you are broken, though you are messed up, you are still what's right with the church because you belong to God. You are the bride of Christ in the midst of everything that's wrong with the world. In a society that has surrendered to negativity and hostility, we are a testament to God's amazing grace. Amen? What a blessing it is to come together every Sunday with broken and messed up people. Yeah, you put on your suit or you put on your dress and you clean up and you look nice, but a lot of you inside are falling apart. And a lot of you are hurting. All of you, in some way, shape, or form, are broken. And if you're not, then you need to realize that you are. This is not a place for those who have it cleaned up and all together. This is a place for people just like you, who are broken, who are messed up, but are still redeemed by God. So maybe what bothers us should amaze us. And maybe what we should be doing instead of bashing and being ugly is we should come together and embrace our imperfection and work toward unity, as Paul said. If you need to get right with God this morning, if you're ready to study the Bible, if you're ready to make a commitment and you don't know what that looks like, Let us study with you. Let us help you. And if you need the prayers of this church family to get it back on track, then do that as well. But what's most important here? I say it all the time, but at some point in your life, the church has to win. At some point. You can put everything else first, and you can allow the world to crowd in, but at some point, the church has to win. Let it win today. Come now as we stand and as we sing. Wonderful, merciful Savior, Precious Redeemer and Friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescued the souls of men. You are the one that we praise. You are. always hunger for, oh, our hearts always hunger for. Counselor, comforter, key